The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. attention this morning to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2 verse 19. We continue our study through Philippians. Grace, grace, God's grace, greater than our sin. Is that right, Meg? It's an oldie but a goodie. That's a very, very true thing. Philippians chapter 2, and if you're visiting with us, we always mention this, but just as an aside, if you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you in the pew. Feel free to take one of those. Uh, We're on page 981 in that Bible, but take it as a gift from us to you. If you do not have a Bible, you regularly use well, you know, it's that time of year, it's hot. It got hot really fast, didn't it, last couple of days? Many of you all know that, it's very true. Uh, but back in Boston, you may remember this from a few months ago, Boston had over 135 inches of snow. Do you remember this? Uh, some of you may have seen this story run this past week, but uh, people are complaining about the heat and the rain and summer, and, and the same people also complained about the cold and snow. But in Boston, they're able to do both. I want you to take a look at this picture uh, that came from Boston this week. Uh, Bostonians are not worried about the heat and snow. There are heat right now. They're trying to melt away all the snow that they piled up as a result of getting things there. Uh, It'll come up here in just a second. But one thing that has happened is they had these domes of snow, and there's one more dome left. It is literally encasing trash that's collected over all these months. And people go and climb to the top of this ice dome. They take pictures, and it might melt, they think by the end of September if the heat holds out. Isn't that amazing? It's encased in ice. So if you want an ice dome, go to this 12-foot high mound of ice that's encased in trash that has collected over the last six months. Uh, The city manager said, we're sick of it, but it's solid ice. It could be here till September, but let me say again, he said, we're sick of it. Ever feel about like that in the past? Ever have things in your life where you feel like it just never goes away. Well, if you're Boston, it's ice, but maybe there's something in your past that really lingers in the present that stinks. Maybe literally, maybe figuratively, but it just stinks. It's, and it's hard to focus, isn't it? If you can imagine being a Boston worker and traveling around and always seeing this big ice reminder, a reminder of the biggest, snowiest time of the year. You know, and David said it this way, one of the great verses, I think, that kind of encapsulates this idea of being in the present, but forgetting the past. Very familiar verse. From Psalm 27, 4, David said, One thing I've asked of you, Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, to gaze upon the beauty of of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. David found that to forget the past meant he had to focus on God and reside in his temple. Wouldn't you love to spend all your days in church praising God, being out and about, worshiping God and studying all the time? But at some point, we have to go out there, don't we? At some point, we have to take that step and move forward even though things are there. And Christian, let me say something, a message to you this morning as well. Sometimes you have to do in the present what you should have done in the past. But let me say it this way. You are what Christ did in the past, not what you did in the past. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says clearly, in him there was no sin, but he became sin for us. Friend, is there something in your life this morning that is a sin that keeps coming up over and over and over and over? And you say, I just can't get rid of it. Maybe the sermon is for you today. But also, church member, let me ask you something. As you seek God in the present, even with your difficult past, 
How do you continue to serve God when there's that big reminder always in your life of all things happening? How do you keep God in the center when you're tired of serving? Some of you have served for many years at this church. How do you keep that engine running when things don't go your way? And why must you serve in this church, or why should you serve in this church? You've heard that old phrase that 20% of the people do 100% of the work. You ever heard that before? In churches, it's more like 5% of the people do 100% of the work. It's very hard sometimes to find workers. So what's the big idea today? This is what we're going to get to in Philippians, is you are to serve your church in the strength God supplies in himself and the gospel, or else you're going to grow tired and you're going to grow bitter. And that thing in the past, like that ice thing in Boston, is going to be on the horizon of your life at all times. But here's the reality. It's both frustrating and freeing. Faithfulness is success. You've heard me say that a lot in the last couple months. Because Christ is king over total dominion, past, present, and future, simple faithfulness to his kingdom is success. Attracting a crowd is not a measure of success, Power View. If we max this place out, let me just be very real with you. If we max this place out, had 20 services on a Sunday, I don't know who's preaching all 20 services, but we're going to have 20 services. If we had 20 services outflowing with people, that is not a measure of success. Jesus called us to make disciples, not just attract numbers. Is there anything wrong with numbers? No. We should pray that God would fill every seat in here every Sunday with intentional disciples for Christ. But if our ministry success is simply being measured by being liked by everyone, whether it's a like on Facebook, a, a favorite on Twitter, or just simply the talking about it, then Jesus' ministry was a failure, wasn't it? Think about that. Let's pray for much humility, especially for humility in our days of peace and success. Friends, we are praying that God would grow this church. Amen? Are you praying for that? Are you praying that God would grow this church numerically? Are you praying more so that if God were to get rid of all the numbers, are you praying that God would give us holiness in this church? That no matter what bad stuff has happened in Tower View's past, my past, your past, that our holiness before the Lord is the most important thing. So where are we going with this? Well, I think there's two questions that we see in Philippians. Two questions I want you to think about. First, do you care more about yourself or about others? Do you care more about yourself or about others? From 219 through 24. And finally, do you and others see God's work in your life? We've been in Philippians the last uh, two months. Hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe we've been in this book a long time. And it's about Paul writing from prison to a church that very much misses him and he very much misses them. And he writes to thank them and encourage them in the gospel. Yeah, some of you have heard that phrase, gospel-centered, a lot. And we're going to look at that again today. But the standard by which Christ is reigning in the Philippians is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to see two people, Timothy and a guy named Epaphrodites, or Epaphroditus, depending on how you say it. If you're looking for a good kid name, I'd recommend Epaphroditus. I'm just throwing that out there as a good thing. But I have a serious question for you this morning. Is your life in this church something that someone would hold up as an example of being worthy and honored? No matter what's happened in your past, is God the one you're seeking to honor? Do people see that in your life? Do people see that in our whole church life? Are you serving in the strength of God in the past? Are we living on past successes? Or are we trusting and serving him now faithfully? That's where we're headed today. If you want to join me in standing, if you're able, we do this every week in honor of God's word. We will get started this morning. I apologize, I'm having trouble with my microphone. It's not staying as it should, so thank you for uh, putting up with me, trying to get it fixed there, and I think we might have it done. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard this morning. 
Paul says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also will be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of a kindred or a like-minded spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. You're an underliner, that's a good verse to underline, just as an aside. But you know, verse 22, of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Verse 27, for he indeed was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I send him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold him in men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his own life to complete what was deficient in service to me. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we are very, very humbled, very, very grateful that we have the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, you are a faithful God. And Father, I, I think about that ice illustration from Boston, how even though they're living in the hot days of summer, they look back at the past. And Lord, how often we do that when we serve you. So Father, I pray as we look at Timothy and Epaphrodites, as they lived out the gospel in the first century, I pray whatever may be in our past or what's happening in our present, that we would learn that you are the greatest hope, the greatest motivation, and the greatest one that we could serve no matter what. Lord, for those serving in the church, give them more fuel to their fire this morning. For those who may need to join in that, that fight today, pro Father, give them that wisdom. Father, for those without Christ this morning, we would pray most of all that your spirit would soften a hard heart and make them know the gospel by your sovereign decree and sovereign work. And it's all your work, Lord. We give that to you. Father, we lift this up today in prayer and we ask because we know Christ is king. We pray in his name, Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So two questions this morning that we're going to look at. First, we're going to kind of look at Timothy in verses 19 through 24, and then we'll go to Epaphroditus, or Epaphrodites, depending on how you say it, uh, in verses 25 through 30. And the first thing I want to ask you is, do you care more about yourself or more about others? It's an easy thing to answer off the cuff, but this is something that we need to look at. Paul, of course, is in jail. He's been in jail for probably two years at this point. He would love to see his friends face to face. He, out of all his congregations, Paul loves this congregation. But he's, a, he's in Rome, he's, he's under lock and key, 18 inches from a Roman guard at any given time. And he wants to go there, but he has to send his helpers along the way. He has to send Timothy and Epaphrodites. And so the first thing we learn from these two men, especially Timothy, is we need to seek the Savior you can trust. That's the first point I want you to look at, first sub-point. You see, because Timothy was a man who Paul considered a son in the faith. He's a man that he considered to be his, his, his greatest follower. There's a great age difference between them. But if you remember back in verse 1 of chapter 1, we looked at the very first sermon I gave here. We saw that Paul and Timothy wrote this letter. It wasn't Paul the apostle, though it was. It was Paul and Timothy together. There was a very unique relationship between them. But in verse 19 of chapter 2, he says this phrase, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Now, when you and I use the word hope, we often say that kind of flippantly, don't you? I hope the Chiefs win a game this year. I hope the Royals win the World Series. I hope that people uh, will come to this event. I hope, I hope, I hope. It doesn't carry the same weight. But in the Greek, 
In, in the original language, hope is faith in the future tense. Hope is not just, I, I, I wish it so, I want it to be true, it's, it's going to happen. So when Paul says, first off, that he says that you can see that you encourage others in verse 19, he says, seek a Savior you can trust. Paul had been very through a lot of stuff. He'd been through shipwrecks and stonings and beatings, but he knew through the whole time that God was faithful to him. Is God faithful to us today the same? Absolutely. And you know what I love about this is? Paul doesn't just tack on. Sometimes we say, God, I want to do this for you, Lord willing. Or if you're in the South, you say, if someone says something funny or you know something's odd about them, you'll say, well, bless their heart. You ever heard that before? Just bless their heart. Paul's not using a flippant phrase like that here. Paul is using a very intentional way to say, look, if you're going to see that Timothy cares for others, see that he encourages others, know that God is going to be faithful to him to send him on his way. So not only does Paul say in verse 19, we can trust the Savior, but he also says that Timothy is worthy to be trusted. That's a weird thing today, isn't it? It used to be you would shake hands, and I'm of the last probably generation that does this. A lot of you all remember when you shook a hand, and that was enough. That was your word. If you broke that, reneged on your commitment. Uh, if you're into basketball this week, uh, this happened in the public eye. There was a guy who was, I don't even know his name, but he was trying out for the, uh, he, he told the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban's team, he said, I'm going to go there. He verbally committed. And Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, shows up at his house. You know what happened to him? He reneged on his contract. And he went back to his original team. And Mark Cuban is not a Christian, but he said something very profound. He said, look, I don't care if you join my team. I just care if you're honest with me. And so trust is a big thing today, isn't it? It's a very big thing. But what we observe in Timothy is someone who Paul believed was very encouraging. Look back at verse 19. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you shortly so I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Timothy's reporting to Paul everything that's going to happen in Philippians and in, in Philippi. He's everything that Paul wants in a man. You know, I don't know how you are with your faith today, but wouldn't that be nice if that could be said of you? If someone could look at you, if we could scan the congregation and say, there's a person, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a family, that if we need help, if we need encouragement, if we need to do the work of the ministry at Tower View, boy, we're going to go to them. And Paul could see that in Timothy, that he was encouraging others. He cared about others. He was willing to risk his life for others. We'll look down at verse 20. Not only does Paul say that he sees that Timothy can encourage others, that you care for others, but that's actually what point two is. Do you care for others in the church? Not just sending a card, but do you care for others? Look at what Paul says about Timothy. He says, for I have no one else of a kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. You know people who do this, right? You've never done this. Someone, you're listening to someone, they say, uh-huh, 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 sure, uh-huh. And their mind's a million miles away. They're looking at you in the eyes. They're doing all the verbal, uh-huh, uh-huh. But where's, but where's their heart? It's somewhere way off there. Timothy genuinely was concerned about these people at Philippi. You know, Paul uses a unique word here. He uses a compound word the, uh, in the New American Standard. It's translated kindred spirit. It's literally the soul being united together, linking together. Husbands and wives, you remember your cavals before the Lord. You were united in one flesh. It's that same kind of thought. Paul is saying that he's going to send Timothy to the Philippians because there's no one else who's like-minded. No one else who his heart beats the same with. No one else whose pattern of living is the same. No one else who has the same concerns. And that word concern there is quite fascinating. You might see that word again in verse 20, to be concerned for your welfare. 
It means to have a strong feeling for someone, even to the point of being burdened sick for them. That preaches in churches. Church, are we burdened sick for the love of the saints in this church? Are you praying that we would have that kind of love and unity that we studied through the last few weeks? Do you know anything of that kind of relationship? You know, one of the, one of the hardest things that, uh, as a pastor to see is uh, we pray that uh, we'll say, hey, do you know this person? And they'll say, no, I don't know that person. And you think, man, if we could just get this person linked up with this person, there would be a greater fellowship in the church. Do you have a relationship like that at Tower View? Maybe many of you have prayed, Lord, I don't know many people here, but I really want to know more Christians. Come to our events. Come serve with us on August 1st at the Back to School. Come share your life with us. Come talk to us. We'd love to put you in contact with someone. Some of y'all say, man, I want to grow in the faith. I want to get deeper with Jesus Christ like Paul was to Timothy. Come talk to us. We can find people to help you do that. But he says also, he, he goes on here, he says, he, he shows the sincerity of Timothy in caring for one another, but he also shows the selflessness of Timothy. That verse I told you in underline, look back at verse 21. He says, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You remember back in chapter 1, we had those false preachers? You remember this? Chapter 1, verses uh, 12 through 18. We had preachers who were preaching Christ because Paul was in uh, prison and they were taking their, their moment of, of sunshine. What Paul's saying about Timothy is, look, these people are Christians in Philippi, uh, or in Rome around me, but there's none I can trust that aren't going to go do it to feed their own ego. They aren't going to serve just to serve. I can trust Timothy because I know he's not self-centered. Wow. You know, one of the greatest hindrances to pastoral ministry, just being honest with you as a pastor, is a lot of pastors feed their ego from the pulpit and the praise that they receive. Pray that I do not do that. It's true, isn't it? It's very true. Some of the biggest pastors out there on Facebook and Twitter have millions of followers. Lord, please don't give me millions of followers. I wouldn't know what to do with that. I would, I would, it would just be a pride trip. But Timothy knew that Paul needed to be served, and Paul knew that Timothy's character was proven. And so he says this phrase, he says, for all seek after their own interest, but he seeks after the interests of Jesus Christ. Church member, are you seeking after the interests of Jesus Christ? in this church, for your family, for whatever you do. But he moves on. He says, see that you have a care for others. He says, see that you encourage others if you care. And finally, he says, see that you serve others. Look at verses 20 to 24. Paul says, but you know of his, Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. That word for proven worth is like, a, 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 if you've ever seen the metal workers, uh, I am amazed at how people can do this. They take a, a liquid and they make it into this metal sculpture and it's a, it's a forming of something tested by fire. It's, it's the image of burning down something. Uh, many of you have seen uh, like crystal, if they make crystal, they, they form it and they shape it and they do all that sort of thing with it. That's exactly what Paul was saying about Timothy. He has proven character. He has metal to him, not metal inside of him like a, a, a metal titanium robo-man, but he has metal in his spirit. He has metal in his spirit because he's served with Paul to the point of furthering the gospel. Wow. Can that be said about us today? I pray that's said about us today. Paul says it this way. He says, Philippians, you know Timothy. You know he's been through the furnace of affliction and he served alongside of me. He's a tested workman, a genuine servant of Christ. And I want you to learn from him and pass through the fires of affliction 
of suffering, even as you face opposition to this day? Would there be no greater thing said about you and your faith when you die someday that you were tested for the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, this, this life goes by quick. We celebrate Scarlett's first birthday on Thursday. Wow, Natalie, where has that time gone? Uh, we haven't slept, so it seems like it's gone a little bit slower at times. But isn't it true that when things go quickly, you step back and think, what have I done? What have I done with my life? But Paul knew that Timothy's life was rifle-focused on what God had called him to do. But he does it sincerely. Did you notice that? In verse 23, he says, I hope to send him to you as soon as I hear how things go with me. Timothy's not going to take a false report. How easily Timothy could take a report from Paul, twist it to his own advantage, and say, look, here I am. Paul's in prison. Follow me. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. There was a story I heard about serving others that goes something like this. It's uh, a mom trying to teach her daughter about why it's important to serve others. A little four-year-old daughter, and she explained, the mom did, how God wants Christians to serve one another. It sounds cute and cuddly and all those things. And, and she said, as Christians, we are here to serve others. And the daughter, her name was Jacqueline, thought about it for a second, as only a preschooler would, and said, well, mom, if we're here to serve others, then what are others here for at this point? Think about that for a second. If we're here to serve others, what are others here to think about? Friends, we are not just here to serve others because it feeds our ego. We're not here just to serve others because it makes us feel good, though that is very much a real thing. If you are a Christian, let me say our first application point here. It is more honor to serve God and his people, the church, than to have kings serve us. Christian, are you praying that you would be addicted to serving the saints of Tower View Baptist Church. At our church, we want to be a congregation that prefers and is obsessed with serving and preferring one another. Is that how people would classify our service? We want it to be typical of us that we cheerfully give our time, our money, our energy, our effort, that we inconvenience ourselves for God's people with greater and greater normality and regularity. Would that be said about us today? Can that be said as a, your pastor? Would you pray that for me, for you, as I pray that for uh, this church as we do this together? But let me say it again. Paul and Timothy's relationship showcases this truth so much. Not only must we serve as we see them serve, but friends, you cannot love Jesus and hate the local or universal church. Is that not true? We become what we worship. And what does your life tell about your father? Paul said to Timothy, he serves me like a child serves his father. What a great thing to say. I pray that someday we can say about our kids that they have served the Lord faithfully if God so allows. But our commitment to Jesus Christ is demonstrated by the quality of the love for the people he has given us around us. You say, Darren, you talked about that at week one and week three and week five and week seven and week eight and all these weeks. Yeah, we did. But you know what Paul's doing the same thing? He's talking about the love for the saints one to another. Friends, it is easier to go around without getting involved in other people li people's lives. Let's just be honest about it. We have enough stuff on our plate. Many of you all, I've talked, uh, Richard, we had, Richard and I had breakfast. I was, you know, we talked about retirement the other day. Richard said he's busier sometimes in retirement than he was working. I think that's a fair statement. And not always stuff he wants to do. It's just part of, part of being a grandpa, being a husband. Many of you all feel that way. How is it that we can serve God we serve him by loving the local church and the people God has put in here. That's where we start. 
Let me also say this. I think Paul and Timothy, that question, do you care for others or yourself, goes back to this last faith lesson. Leadership involves nothing more, or excuse me, leadership involves more than service, but nothing less. Paul teaches us here that if we're ever going to be used by God in this world, church, we must love. And most of us sometimes become too proud to let God use us because we don't want to be the person that God humbles or asks to do a task that maybe someone else should be doing. But let someone know that you love them, not just by words, but by deeds. Would you pray this week? Many of you, uh, we have the membership directory. The best way to get to know people in this church is to pray through that membership directory. I don't know if every name's in there. I think we need to, Dave, uh, at some point we'll need to have this conversation about getting an updated directory. I'm not in there. Uh, there are several people who are new that are not in there. But are you praying, asking God, Lord, I see this person for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. Lord, how can I get to know this person better? Father, what does it mean for me to serve like Paul and Timothy served? Lord, check my heart. Do I love as Christ loved as I'm supposed to love? That's the question we should be praying. Friends, do you care for one another as God told us to care for one another? Timothy was willing to go 700 miles by foot in the midst of robbers, thieves, persecution to go tell a congregation Paul so loved about his love for them. What are we willing to do for Christ in this day and age? And let's just be honest here. You know, many of you have asked about the Supreme Court and it's kind of it's died down a little bit. Look, you are going to stand for truth in this generation or you are not going to be counted as one who's standing with what God says to stand on. But we are called in this generation to be different than the generation. And one way we do that is by Christ working through you to love on each other so they see the love in us. That's the first point. Second point is this. Do you see God's work in your life? Do others see God's work in your life? Look back at verse 25. Verse 25. Paul says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who's your messenger and minister to my need. I did not paint this picture well for you as we've gone through Philippians, but Epaphroditus was actually a member of the congregation at Philippi. They had sent him out from Philippi, 700 miles away, to take a 40-day by-foot journey to walk all that way in bad sandals, bad weather, all the stuff that goes with it, to go see how Paul was. They were so concerned about Paul, they sent one of his own. Uh, I know many of you are saving that name, Epaphroditus, to name your kids, so let me tell you what it means. Uh, it means lovely or charming. So that's a good name to name your kid after if you're into that. But one thing that we know about him is we really don't know much. We don't know much about Epaphroditus. Many people think he was a pastor at Philippi. Many people think he was a deacon at Philippi. We, we Honestly, we don't know. We just don't know. A lot of speculations, commentators are across the board. But Paul describes him in a very certain way. He says he's a brother. Paul didn't just call him a brother. He calls him my brother. Wow. Not just a church member or, hey, I go to church with that person, but he's my brother. Paul calls him my brother because he has a personal attachment to him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He also calls him his fellow worker. Paul didn't just use this lightly. He didn't just say, oh, you came and served one time at the church. You are a fellow worker of Jesus Christ with me. No, he uses this in a way that points to the fact that they labored together through much suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the first point is this. People should know what you do. Friends, we don't serve to get a big image or 15 minutes of fame, but do people know why you go to church on a Sunday morning, if they know you go to church on a Sunday morning? Epaphroditus was marked by being a brother 
He was saved in the faith. He was a worker with Paul. What a honor that was. Many of you are of the generation of Billy Graham. You know, uh, Billy Graham, I, he's still living, but he's very much, uh, he's lost a lot of his, his uh, functions uh, as far as mentally and such. But wouldn't it be a great thing 50 years ago to say, wow, you work with Billy Graham? What would people say? They, they would look at you like, can you get me his autograph? Can you do that for me? Today it might be, there's several people today with the internet, there's so many popular pastors out there. But can that be said about you? Are you a worker for Christ? And then he goes on, he says, but he's a soldier as well. A soldier. Wow, that's pretty big images that we come to mind. Paul's saying that, look, for the sake of the gospel, he has not only served alongside me, suffered with me, but he has also led the advance with the gospel. And then he says he's a messenger and a minister. Why is Paul doing all this? Why is he labeling him as such? Many commentators think because Epaphroditus left, he was willing to go, but they don't know if he's ever going to come back. Did he find Paul? Did he see Paul? Did he really minister with Paul? And what we know, if you flip over to chapter 4, verse 18, or take your Kindle, some of you all are technologically uh, good in that. Go to chapter 4, verse 18. I want to share what Epaphroditus did. He, he, he did a very special thing. Paul says, but I've received everything in full and have abundance, and I'm amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The Philippians heard that Paul was in jail. And in those days, when you're in jail, unless someone came to you to, to, to feed you, to minister to you, had nothing, literally. And Epaphroditus sent a gift that Paul received from the Philippians. They want to know. Philippians want to know, did he, they receive the gift? Did he find Paul? Did he get beaten, stolen by robbers? But people knew what Epaphroditus was about because Paul had sent him on his journey. Wow. What an amazing work that Paul did through there. It has often been said that Christianity, if you want to be practical about this, is not a spectator sport. It's not a weekend hobby where we just add a little bit of Jesus to our comfortable and convenient lives as we pursue the American dream. Friends, what we learn from the very first verse in verse 25 is it's a life of self-sacrifice, isn't it? That's counter-cultural in America to labor on behalf of brothers and sisters. But we, we sang about this, and Mark, thank you for referring to this. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for what? His friends. And yes, that is referring in context to Jesus Christ laying down his life specifically for the disciples, universally for the gospel. But the greater application point is, look, if you want to serve Christ, take up your cross daily and follow him. So not only does Epaphroditus show that others should know what you do, what you're about, that you're affirmed by that working. Can people look at you and say, you know, he doesn't just go to, to Tower View Baptist Church. He serves. He's there. Not pridefully, but humbly. Can people say that about you? But secondly, I want you to see that others should care how you are. Care how you are. Look at verse 26. Because he, Epaphroditus, was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. The Apostle Paul here says first that he, the Philippians, that he was longing for you all. Epaphroditus didn't just say, great, I get to get out of this ruddy old town in Philippi and go to Rome, which is the Las Vegas of the time, and serve with Paul. Woo, look at me. That's not what he said. His intense longing and yearning was because uh, not only was Paul distressed over the, the Philippians, how are they doing? 
But Epaphroditus was distressed over Paul. How's he doing? And he was distressed over those people I left. How are they doing? The word here refers to a deep anguish and anxiety and emotional turmoil. The word there in verse 26 where he says that he had a longing for you is the same word that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. I can't get the words out today. Where he was literally grieved and distressed. Remember, the Bible says he, he, he dropped blood drops because he was such intense agony. Christ was. It's the same word used here that Epaphroditus had for this congregation and for Paul. But you know what? God may cure when he sees what's going on in your life. Look at verse 27. How did God work through this? He was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. Friends, that is the gospel 101. We were spiritually sick, but God had mercy on our souls. We are spiritually dead, but God raised us up in Christ and brought us new life. We were dead in our sins, but raised to new life with Jesus Christ. Physically, you know, many of us pray, can God heal? Yes, friends, God still heals today. Please do not believe, and I, I know I pick on these guys a lot, but please do not believe the people that put their hand to them and they fall down and a whole uh, place falls down, they're all healed. Friends, healing is real, but healing comes through prevailing in prayer before God, trusting Him, trusting His will, and trusting that He will work. Does God still heal today, church? Amen, he does. And we pray and we pray and we pray till God shuts that door. In this instance, God had mercy on Epaphroditus. What was he sick with? Maybe he caught a bug. Maybe he uh, got robbed. We don't know. Quite frankly, we don't know. Paul doesn't tell us. A lot of speculation out there. But one thing we know is that God had mercy on him. God spared him for Paul's sake and for the furtherance of the gospel. Look, if you are suffering physically, friend, pray. Pray, 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 pray. But can I ask the reverse? Is my attitude, is your attitude, is our attitude, if God doesn't heal that, am I still loving God the way he should be loved? It's a tough question. It's a very tough question. But you know, God's healed Epaphroditus. And we go on in verse 28. We see not only that people should know what you do, we should know that you should care we also see that others should rejoice when you come. Look at verse 28. Paul says, Therefore, having seen what God did in healing Epaphroditus, I've seen, set, sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Paul, from the best we know, has sent Epaphroditus on before he finishes the letter. He wants to get there uh, as the letter goes out. He wants Epaphroditus to get there ahead of time. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you ever need a preacher to follow, he's, a, he's not an old, old dead guy, but he died in the 1950s. So he's not as old as some of those other dead guys we've talked about, but uh, he's still dead, just so you know. But he said it this way. He said, Paul said, you know, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you because I know that when he arrives back in Philippi and when you see him, you all are going to be so happy. And the fact that you're going to be happy is going to make me less sorrowful, sorrowful. As I think of you and your happiness, when you look at the face of Epaphroditus, it will make me forget everything in prison, and I will rejoice as a man who rejoices in the Lord. Friends, is your presence, when you walk into a room as a Christian, as a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, such that when people look at you, they say, wow, I know they are going through stuff. And we all have stuff we're going through, physical, mental, emotional, family-oriented. But their joy is not in their circumstances. Their joy is in the Lord. 
Why are we a gospel-centered church? Because we know that no matter if we are walking or can barely walk or we're in the hospital the rest of our lives, that the gospel is simply this. God had mercy on our souls, and that is the reason we rejoice no matter what life throws at us. And he says, not only are you to be joyful with him, you're to receive him. You say, well, this guy left from Philippi. He went to Rome. Paul sends him back. Why in the world would they not take him back? Well, again, it could have been a pride trip. Can you imagine? Uh, you know people like this. Uh, if you've gone to college, uh, the question is usually, well, what college did you go to? And, well, I went to Harvard. Well, good for you. I'm glad you're smart enough and can afford it because I could never do that at all. Some of you say, I went to Kansas, and I'd say, oh, I would go to Missouri anytime. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get my MU joke in there. But, you know, maybe it was something as petty as that. He's been gone. He's with Paul. Is he going to come back and take over the church? Is he going to come back and completely change things the way they were done? But Paul says, look, he's been with me. Verse 29, he says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold a man like this in high regard. You know, we're praying for Nelson as he's away uh, at a place. Uh, I guess I better stop there with the name. But we're praying for a gentleman in our congregation who's serving. And we're praying for him. And we will hold him in high regard because he's serving the Lord. When we send out missionaries like Luke and he comes to visit it, we hold him in high regard because we know he's faithful to the gospel. Friends, don't hold preachers in high regard because they have many followers. Hold them in high regard if you hold them in high regard because they preach the message. And that's what Paul did to Epaphroditus. And what's the reason Paul gives? Look at verse 30. We'll end here. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in service to you. Wow. We may never face death as Christians in America. I think we're in a time and a place where we will see a lot of pushback as Christianity goes forward. There's a lot of pastors with respect to a lot of pastors who are teaching that homosexuality is not a sin. Friends, it is a sin. It is a sin. Just like any other sin is a sin, but the love of Christ is there. We stand firmly on that here at this church because the Bible stands firmly on that at this church. You know what? We also believe that lying is a sin. We stand firmly that lying is a sin because the Bible stands firmly that lying is a sin. You better believe that Epaphroditus was questioned when he came back. What is Paul saying? We hear all these reports about him. People say he's doing it for his own gain. People, people are saying that he's, he's a false prophet. But Paul affirms this church and says, receive him with joy. Believe the message. He was with me, and the Lord has sent him back to you. Friends, are you praying that whatever church you may go to, you may not be at Tower View the rest of your life. I pray that you're here. I pray that we can grow old together. And uh, Leon, I picked on you this morning. Leon is a very good old age. But one thing I told Leon is, Leon, we're going to be in a group home together someday because he is as young and spry as I am at my age, and he's much older than I am. But you better believe that he loves the Lord every time. Friends, no matter if you're older, middle-aged, younger, are you set on the fact that no matter where God calls you, you will be faithful to that task? That's the question. Let's end with these points. Say, what's this mean for me and my church? Here it is. You will never find out how much God is until you, how, until you realize how much you're not without him. Sometimes we need to hit the bottom before we realize what God truly is in our lives. On those days when you don't feel like you have much to give, remember this. Remember Timothy. Timothy didn't have much to give, just his faithfulness. He didn't have money. He didn't have all that time, but he loved the Lord. He gave himself to the Lord. Epaphroditus didn't have much, 
He had sickness, but he gave himself to the Lord. Don't think or buy the lie that you have to be healthy, strong, and robust and have the best life ever to serve the Lord. Friends, God doesn't want people who are strong in the physical sense. They want people, God wants people who are broken and ready and willing to be served no matter what the cost. If you think you're inadequate to serve Jesus Christ, guess what? You're at the point where God's ready to use you. And if you're a Christian here today, what are you doing to serve the local church? Many of you, and I, I don't, I'm not chiding, I just want to ask that question. Right, what is it that God has called you to do? We have a great usher uh, ministry coming up. Dave Edmonds is going to be chairing that up for us. Uh, if you want to serve as an usher, serve as an usher. We, uh, Judy, talk to Judy in the back. We have a great opportunity at back to school. You want to serve uh, share the gospel. I need some people on the gospel team to share the gospel. Come talk to me. There's a lot of needs in this church. Awana workers. We need Awana workers on Wednesday nights in the fall. We need youth group helpers. You fill the list. We've got it. Come and serve with our church. But I want you to know this. Church, a Christian of great sacrifice must be one of little sacrifices. I think sometimes we think that if we don't have everything to give, that we can't serve Jesus Christ. You know, some of the, the best sermon illustrations come from those people who have little to give but have a heart sold out to God. Is your heart sold out to God in this way? We don't honor people for serving themselves, but for doing something truly not self-serving is when we honor them. As Christians, we work against a worldview that says, me first, oh, get my 15 minutes of fame, or, or do this or do that. I bet if you ask Timothy or Epaphroditus, they didn't want their name in that letter, but Paul made their name in that letter. Friends, you're working for Christ. is not so that 50 years from now they can look back and say, man, I remember when this person served. Your service is to Jesus Christ alone. When you go to your employer tomorrow, many of you who work, your service is not to that boss, though that's your earthly boss. Your service ultimately is to Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian of great? You say, man, if I can just give $5,000 well, I have $5 in my bank account. God's going to love me more. Remember the widow? Remember the story? Jesus looked at the woman uh, who gave a little small mite, who's like a penny worth of, of giving. And then he saw the Pharisee who came in with all the pomp, and, and they literally would bring out the trumpets like a big band would come up. And who did Jesus say had better offering at that point? The woman who gave less. Now, oh, pastor, you're saying that I should tithe less than a penny each week? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that your service should not be about the amount you give, but your right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, I would be remiss if I did not share the gospel. But it is only in Christianity that you get the verdict before you have the performance. If you're not a Christian, the rest of the sermon may not have been of any interest to you. But consider that the human verdict on your life is still being formed, but the God verdict on your life, if you're not a Christian, is one word. You are guilty. You were guilty. You were born into sin. You have sinned except nothing in your life up to this point. You have breathed sin like you're drinking in water, as someone has famously said. You were guilty before a holy God. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal and everlasting life. You can have faith in Jesus. You can receive forgiveness. If you're not a Christian here today, come talk to me. I'll be here after the end of the service. We're not going to twist your arm. There's a, there's a guy back there by the name of Steve. He's our deacon of the month. He won't twist your arm. He'll love you to death is what he'll do. Smile you to death. You know Steve. It's what he'll do. But he'll talk to you about Christ. If you don't know Jesus, talk to us. Say, Darren, I don't want to talk to you, and I just want to read something. Go to our website, tireviewkc.com. On the very top left, there's a big thing that says the gospel. Click on that. Talk to us. It is the most important 
thing you can do. But Christians, I want to talk to you today. How is your service of Jesus Christ? Are you serving the way you should serve? Are you serving wholeheartedly? Am I serving wholeheartedly? Are you like Timothy? Are you like Epaphroditus? Not about them and their personality, but are you after one thing, two things? Are you about God's glory when you serve? And are you about advancing his gospel, no matter what the cost? Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, this sermon uh, was all over the place in preparation, and it was all over the place this morning. But Father, I, I think the underlying tone is that, Father, we are to serve as you called us to serve. Father, I thank you so much for the many dozens of faithful people in this church. Father, fuel that fire even more. Father, thank you that the gospel is everything that it's about. Thank you that their small sacrifices through the years have become the great sacrifices seeing so many people come to Christ. Father, may we live up to that legacy. May we see more people live up to that legacy by your grace. Father, I pray for the Christian here today who says, I want to serve, but I'm not sure where to serve. Give them the courage to step out, even if they're not sure or it's not comfortable or what they're gifted to. Father, thank you for our ladies who had a study recently about spiritual gifts. Give them wisdom as they seek ways to plug in areas of the church that need help. Father, thank you so much for that. Thank you for Tower View Baptist Church. And we pray as we know, grow, share, and serve, Father, your name, that you would be lifted high. Father, we pray for any non-Christian here today that by your spirit you would open hearts and minds only by your grace. Father, you are so good. I fail so often as a pastor, fail so often as a person, but Father, grace, grace, God's grace, which is greater than sin. May that be the prayer we go with today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.